This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. Before we get started, just a friendly reminder that abstract submissions for the 2021 Master Brewers Conference have been extended. If you ran trials at your brewery, if you did something innovative, experienced a major victory, or just solved a problem that another brewer might benefit from hearing about, why not put together a poster or a presentation for the next conference? I can't wait to see what you come up with. Maybe we can even talk about it here on the show. Check the show notes right now for a link on how to get started. We need to supplement significantly um, to provide additional nitrogen, vitamins, and minerals. And this is why many brewers have a difficult time with pure sugar fermentations. This week on the show, what does a brewer who is new to brewing hard seltzer need to know about yeast and fermentation? And more importantly, what the heck is actually in yeast nutrient? Which type of nutrient do you need and how much should you be using? Hi, my name is Brittany Christensen and I am the Northwest and Rockies Technical Sales Manager for Lollaman Brewing. Hi, I'm Avi Shayevitz, and I am a research associate for Alalamon Incorporated with the brewing uh, with the brewing business unit. Hi, my name is Eric Abbott. I'm the global technical advisor for Alalamon Brewing. I initially asked you all to talk about the topic of yeast and fermentation for hard seltzer. Basically, everything a brewer who is new to seltzer production needs to know. But the more I thought about it, this is really a story about yeast nutrients. Nutrient addition is an important topic for seltzer because a sugar wash brings almost nothing to the table and absolutely needs to be supplemented. But there are plenty of beer fermentations that need some amount of nutrient supplementation as well. In either case, there are a lot of options out there that may or may not be the right fit, most of which are mysteriously hidden behind the shroud of various suppliers' marketing departments. So, While we're still going to talk about seltzer fermentations, what do you say we first aim to help brewers make sense of yeast nutrients for both seltzer and beer fermentations? Yeah. (laughs) 
Can you, could you guys be a little more enthusiastic about it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. I'll take it. Um, okay. So before we get into the specifics of actual yeast nutrient products, let's talk more broadly about what yeast needs and what we are or are not providing it with when we brew wort or, dare I say, sugar water. So give us an overview of yeast nutrient requirements and why yeast needs each of them. So obviously a really kind of big question to jump into, but I'll do the best that I can to uh, summarize. For yeast, they need carbohydrates, as we know, and that's really this sugar substrate um, in wort that um, can, you know, we have our maltose and thankfully brewing yeast is very good at fermenting maltose. And within hard seltzers, we have our very kind of simple sugars. That's usually like the glucose, sucrose um, is another common one, and dextrose, which is basically glucose. So yeast needs sugars. That's kind of their source of food. That's what they like to eat. Their ultimate goal is to really produce more yeast. And we kind of get all this really great kind of um, byproducts in a sense, and these kind of middle compounds, um, the esters and all these really fantastic things. In the meantime, as they're trying to produce more yeast. The next thing that they would really need is nitrogen. Nitrogen is already within wort, whereas in, again, the sugar substrates within hard seltzer, there's nothing. It's just sugar. Um, so a lot of people within the brewing industry, um, maybe adding extra nitrogen isn't something that's as common, especially if they're using a 100% um, malt-based uh, wort production. And what is that? What is the role of nitrogen in fermentation? What's it actually doing? Um, so nitrogen is it's an important compound because that's what the that's what the yeast will use to produce proteins. Um, so it's both for functional purposes and for structural purposes. So this plays hand in hand again, also with the carbohydrates and other carbon-based molecules to help build the physical structure of the cell and the proteins and enzymes necessary for just regular uh, everyday cellular activity that we call metabolism. Yeah, because like, you know, the enzymes are proteins as well. And then you've also got, you know, transporters and it's needed for ATP and genetic material and all that stuff, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. The yeast would have a pretty difficult time multiplying in the absence of any nitrogen. It wouldn't be able to synthesize the components needed to divide. Right. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's keep going. What else? Um, so we've got our, um, our carbohydrates and our nitrogen sources. What else does, does yeast need? Uh, yeast also need oxygen. Although it's not such a, I guess it depends on your definition of oxygen as a nutrient. Um, but ox I still like to include oxygen because it is um, pretty necessary. And for us, um, with dry yeast on first pitch, you don't need to necessarily oxygenate because um, how dry yeast is produced in the presence of so much oxygen. And then really the next is just uh, minerals and vitamins, which is kind of like a big. Uh, big group <laughs> of very specific things. Um, within minerals, the main two that I would probably point out is really zinc and magnesium. And that's because um, zinc is really important within the production of alcohol pathway. And it's because there's it's a cofactor for the very last um, enzyme of the alcohol dehydrogenase. 
And so you need zinc for this enzyme, which then turns, um, it's the last step of alcohol production. So if you don't have zinc, this is going to be a very difficult uh, part of the fermentation pathway. Um, so zinc's very important. Magnesium is um, basically a kind of similar in a sense, but it's really meant for the kind of whole beginning part of the alcohol fermentation pathway, while zinc's kind of meant for that last part. In, in a general sense, um, minerals are important as cofactors for the functioning of enzymes uh, for various processes in the metabolism of, of the yeast. Brewers are a, kind of, well, I like to say a little spoiled in a sense, because their starting substrate um, is wort, and it kind of offers everything that the yeast wants, in a sense. It's really setting the yeast up for success and in a really good environment. Um, and that's where the challenge, I think, comes from when people are producing hard seltzers because it's not providing any of that. Um, and just building on what you're saying there, Brittany, I, I've sometimes heard brewers say things like, uh, beer just wants to happen. All you have to do is um, <laughs> be there and watch. Um, beer wants to be made. Uh, a brewer's job is to stand by and watch the, the yeast and the enzymes do the work. The brewer just holds the spoon. And that's because wort is very nutrient rich and everything that the yeast needs for fermentation, a carbon energy source, a nitrogen source, and various vitamins and minerals are present in insufficient quantities in the wort. And this is why many brewers have a difficult time with pure sugar fermentations. Those nutrients in every category except the, the carbon energy source are completely lacking. Um, sugar is nothing but the, the carbon source. Uh, so we need to supplement significantly um, to provide additional nitrogen, vitamins, and minerals. I like that take on it, but I got to be honest, in my experience, there's a little more to it than just standing around with a spoon. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so the, um, it's... It's a significant challenge to make good quality beer consistently, but it's pretty easy to make beer in a general sense. It may not be great beer. It may not be consistent. Totally agree. <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. Okay. So let's, um, so knowing that seltzer, uh, a sugar wash, um, or whatever we want to call it really has almost none of what we need. So we know it's got the carbohydrate part, but really nothing else. Let's kind of go through those categories and talk about how we get there. So, um, starting with nitrogen is DAP the best so uh, nitrogen source for a seltzer fermentation, or should we use nutrients that contain amino acids instead of just DAP? Any nitrogen source has a few advantages and disadvantages. So the, there's a few different categories. DAP, DAP, is a common one. It's very cheap, um, and it provides nice, fast uh, fermentations. Uh, urea is another option that is present in a lot of turbo yeasts, and that provides extremely fast fermentations. Um, there's also organic uh, nitrogen sources, uh, such as yeast-derived uh, yeast extracts and autolysates. Um, in that case, the, the nitrogen source is in the form of amino acids and peptides, and it's uh, balanced in a, a different way uh, that is uh, um, um, it, it's it's well balanced for yeast fermentation, but tends to be a little bit slower. Um, so one consideration that people are 
concerned with with uh, seltzer fermentations is the speed. If if speed is your biggest concern, urea may, might be the best option. Uh, DAP would also be very fast, and organic nitrogen is a little bit slower. However, there's trade-offs for speed. Um, urea is is the fastest, um, but the there tends to be off flavors and that, that will be produced by these very fast fermentations, higher fusel alcohols, uh, potentially higher uh, autolytic off flavors. Um, and urea can also lead to the production of uh, toxic compounds in the fermentation process. Uh, for example, the formation of ethyl carbamate or urethane. Um, so there's a trade-off for these very fast fermentations. And DAP is uh it's a very cheap nitrogen source which is a, a reason why a lot of people go to it uh, it's very easy to use but it's very simple it's like giving uh simple sugars uh to your kids um it's it's like candy for the yeast they consume it very quickly um and what tends to happen is that the um it results in a depletion of amino acids in the fermentation media, uh, resulting in um, a nutrient-poor fermentation towards the end of fermentation that can lead to some off flavors. Uh, organic nitrogen, as I mentioned, will tend to be a little bit on the slower side, um, but because the nitrogen source is a bit more complex, it leads to a, a more balanced, slower, uh, smoother fermentation that. Uh, leads to fewer off flavors and a more balanced, um, neutral uh, flavor in your seltzer fermentation. Eric, I think I read somewhere that yeast uses organic nitrogen more efficiently than DAP. Is that, is that accurate or no? And if so, why would, it, why would, it, why would those fermentations be slower? Um, I guess in a general sense, I would say that's because the, the nitrogen is in a more complex source. Um, Avi, do you want to speak to that? Uh, sure. So one thing we're going to be talking about a lot, at least on this context, is organic nitrogen. And this doesn't necessarily mean like USDA certified organic. It refers to um, like amino acids specifically. And one of the advantages of having a rich amino acid source is that the yeast doesn't necessarily have to use those metabolic pathways to produce specific amino acids to then produce the proteins necessary for metabolic functions. So like what Eric was was referring to earlier um, with the production of off flavors, these could be byproducts of the activation of these specific catabolic pathways that are used to build uh, amino acids that are then used to build proteins. So part of the reason why um, some of these organic nitrogen-fed fermentations are slower is, is because they tend yeast will tend to uptake these fermentations a bit slower. And uh, because they're not kind of rushing to build these amino acids or, or proteins, uh, they can kind of take their time and just kind of behave like the way that yeast would normally behave in, say, um, a, a wort setting. Cool. That's pretty interesting. 
Can we talk a little bit more about the difference between, like, I guess the class of yeast derivatives or however you want to say it? Um, you know, you see stuff listed as yeast hulls, yeast extracts, stuff like that. What's going on there? What's the difference between that stuff and, and you know, what, and what's, what does it mean for, for the brewer? Yeah, so yeast hulls, uh, I believe, is just um, the yeast cell wall. Um, yeast... Uh, Yeast extract refers to the, the, the well, when we're producing different yeast-derived products, um, they will all look similar. Uh, they'll have kind of a powdery, yeasty, uh, yeasty character, almost like you've ground up the, the yeast into a fine powder. Um, but there's different separation mechanisms depending on what product you're producing. Yeast extract refers to the um, the inside of the, the yeast cell after it's been separated from the cell wall. A yeast uh, autolysate is the, um, the combined in inside of the cell as well as the cell walls. So that includes the cell wall components as well as any, any, any proteins uh, on the cell walls as well. I always call it the Yeast extract, in like really simple terms, I always say the yeast extract is like the soup, the good stuff all inside of the yeast cell with all those good nutrients and things that you want. And then the yeast autolysate is all the good stuff plus the cell wall, which is also still has really good benefits to it. So it's like the soup plus. <laughs> and um, the cell wall is good to have in there because it has all those other kind of nutrients. But there's also... You can extract like manoproteins from the cell wall and manoproteins can really help influence with mouthfeel and give kind of like this softness and roundness. And that's another benefit of some of these nutrients. When you see like something like yeast husks, so like Eric, like Eric and Brittany were saying, that's, yeah, that's pretty much mostly the cell wall, but the cell wall is an incredibly complex part of the cell. And it's usually uh, loaded with all kinds of manoproteins and glycoproteins. Um, which contribute greatly to uh, overall flavor perception and and mouthfeel. So this is it's almost uh, one of the primary players in say um, how a wine uh, will feel on the tongue. Um, so like you can definitely tell a difference between an aged wine, something that was aged on on the lees, versus a young wine that didn't have time for that. And that's almost um, almost exclusively because of these mantleproteins that are getting into the wine. And this is something that really helps with these sugar fermentations, because if you just have the sugar fermentations, just a, like a fast ethanol fermentation, uh, it's going to be very harsh and it's going to be very thin. So uh, the use of mantleproteins in this process greatly influences how, or the, over the overall taste quality of the final product. Nice. Uh, we don't have the advantage of, uh, of the, the body left over after a beer fermentation. There's no dextrins. Yeah. There, there's nothing exactly. left over. Um, so by having a more complex nutrient that has uh, a yeast-derived yeast uh, nutrient, uh, in addition to organic nitrogen, you have the components coming from the cell wall that influences the, the mouthfeel mouth and the flavor. This is not to say that it leaves you with a full-bodied uh, creamy sweet uh, beer at the end like uh, but uh, it, it would have just a little bit of character that would take the edge off of uh, 
a fermentation that had uh, very little uh, yeast-derived components to it and would tend to be thin and potentially harsh. Yeah, when there's nothing to start with, a little bit goes a long way, right? Exactly. All right. Um, okay, so if, um, if, if a brewer's adding, if the brewer's wanting to supplement a seltzer fermentation you know, or, or beer for, for some reason uh, with, uh, with, with yeast nutrient, whether they're using um, DAP or, or yeast extract or some combination of all that, um, is it best to add that in the kettle? Is it better to add it at fermenter full or maybe even during active fermentation or some combination of all that? So, yeah, this is a question that we actually get quite a bit just in regards for even standard beer fermentation. So it really depends. I generally do not recommend adding um, any kind of proteinaceous material like this into the hot side, mostly because um, even though it doesn't quite get hot enough to undergo a full Maillard reaction, it, you still have the presence of reducing sugars, maltose and glucose. Um, in beer, or glucose in a, um, and sucrose in hard seltzers, in the presence of free amino acids, and what that could potentially cause is what we call Browning reaction or or Maillard reaction, and this could kind of give rise to unwanted flavors. Uh, we're talking like roasty, nutty, uh, meat-like. Uh, so these are like the kind of reactions that you get when you bake cookies or uh, when you grill meats. Um, although it does typically have to get a lot hotter than 100 degrees Celsius to fully uh, react that way. But even in the presence of heat, you could start catalyzing some of these browning reactions, which could lead to off flavor. So that's why I always recommend adding it just be like at the same time you're adding your yeast. Um, and even during fermentation, like once you're past the lag phase or in the middle or uh, in the middle of the exponential phase, that could potentially be a good sweet point to add uh, these nutrients because now the yeasts are like pretty much at their most active and that's when they'll need it. However, you know, you also have to take into consideration that that's another critical control point that could introduce contamination. So it's really kind of up to the discretion of the brewer, but adding it with the yeast is always a good, good idea. All right. So it sounds like at least if you're going to add it to the kettle, wait till the last possible minute in, yes. until yeah. you're about to cool the wort. Mm -hmm. Coming up. The, the main thing you want to do is avoid the pH drop in the first 24 hours. Um, that's when the most significant pH drop and the steepest pH drop is going to be. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. 
Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation, which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. Not to mention it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet refined sugars. Give your seltzer yeast a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentis, a global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. June 15th, there's a Master Brewers webinar titled Brewing with a Social Mission, Bringing Peace Through Prosperity. There's another webinar June 24th on the topic of minerals and brewing water. July 20th, join John Harris, Kevin Davey, and Andy Morrison for a webinar called Cold IPA Defined, a Deep Dive with the Creators. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. I really hope we get some in-person district meetings on the calendar soon. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers. United we brew. back to the show. Let's go back to beer for just a minute. So um, most all malt brewers where it has plenty, if not too much fan, which can be problematic for beer quality during aging. How can a brewer select the right nutrient and avoid excess fan? So... Fan can vary uh, from from beer to beer, depending on how much malt you're using, uh, the gravity, etc. Um, and that could potentially pose a problem. Having too much fan could lead to to interesting flavors or flavor development. Uh, so that's why, like with the hard seltzer fermentation, uh, say like a yeast extract product, you can get a very good idea of exactly how much fan you're adding depending on the dosage rate. Um, so let's take, you know, we, we can take product, you know, 
product A, for example, uh, that has a dosage rate of, you know, I don't know, let's say five grams per liter or 2.5 grams per liter, that would most likely dose it between 1.5 or sorry, 100, 150 to 180 ppm of free amino nitrogen, which is kind of like right in that lower range of, of I believe, what, what should be targeted for a lager beer. Um, and that seems to be pretty good for just overall yeast functional health uh, and flavor development. So really the only way that you can control uh, fan production in beer is like you'd have to have a good idea of, of how much free amino nitrogen is, is available from the malt you're using and diluting accordingly. So you can kind of get a good idea. But generally speaking, the difference between a beer and a hard seltzer fermentation set with hard seltzer fermentations, you, you actually have a much finer control of fans. So it's, it's actually pretty hard to overdose it. Yeah, so it, like Avi said, it's difficult to overdose with the fan, even with uh, the organic nitrogen uh, nutrient that we, we have with Lalma, Yeast Life O, um, even at 250 grams per hectoliter, which is quite a large amount compared to what you would normally use for a beer fermentation. Uh, even at 250 grams per hectoliter, we're, we're still right in the range of 150 to 180 ppm of fan. For hard seltzer fermentations, so to exceed the the fan re, uh, the fan requirements would require very large amounts of nu nutrient. Um, I guess one last question I'll ask is: uh, Is there do some of these? I think some of these products are actually a com combination of of DAP as well as the um, organic nitrogen. Is that uh, do I have that right? And if so, is there like is there some benefit to to a little bit of both rather than one or the other? Yeah, so that is something we found. Um, you can split these nitrogen supplements into three kinds of of supplements. You have your pure inorganic nitrogen, so that's your DAP urea, um, and then you have your hybrids which is actually a mix of DAP and yeast extract. And then you have your organic nitrogen, which is just 100% yeast autolysate or yeast extract or a blend of yeast autolysate and yeast extract. Um, and it's like with everything else that Eric and Brittany were talking about earlier is that uh, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages um, with the, with the hybrids. You actually get a very vigorous initial fermentation, so shorter lag phase, but you also have the advantage of being able to provide that organic nitrogen to kind of like carry the, the yeast through um, the remainder of the fermentation. Now, uh, that really just depends on the quality of the yeast extract and what's in the yeast extract, because you can get generic yeast extract, mi microbial grade yeast extract. Um, that we use in for media, for uh, microbiological media. However, that may not be conducive for optimal flavor balancing um, because some of the organic uh, nutrients, they're actually specifically designed and curated for the production of, for optimizing yeast flavor production. So we can kind of like influence the behavior of yeast by providing them the right substrate or providing them the right nutrients. And this is something that a lot of yeast extract producers, particularly um, you know, Lalamond actually has a, a number of 
Uh, I mean, we're more than just brewing yeast. We have a baking division. We have plant and healthcare division, uh, um, human nutrition. And all these use yeast extracts that are catered and kind of like formulated for very specific purposes. So I wouldn't recommend mixing regular micro microbiological grade <laughs> yeast extract with DAP. <laughs> yeah. you'll get you'll get really good growth but you may not get the flavors that you, that you really want or like that kind of like neutral aspect cool thanks yeah. that's awesome not all yeast right. extracts are are created equal um, yes exactly and, and uh you can't really take the yeast extract that was uh, developed for another application for beer fermentations um Yeast extract is not intended to provide any flavor contribution. It's used at very low levels, uh, and most of the flavor is coming from the the malt, from the hops, and and from the yeast. Um, yeast extracts for brewing haven't really considered uh, flavor contributions. For hard seltzer, you, you're using maybe ten times the quantity of the nutrient, um, so the flavor contribution from the nutrient itself needs to be considered or should be considered um so ideally you would use a a nutrient that is specifically developed for hard seltzer production and in our case we have yeast lifeo and uh, there are there are others on the market as well i have my my neighbor wanted me to help him um brew do some homebrew make a homebrew batch of hard seltzer and he had this like you know bag of yeast nutrient from the homebrew store that just said yeast nutrient and i was like well Okay, but what's in there, you know? <laughs> so, um, okay, I just thought of another question. So, um, actually, before we move on, uh, John, I just wanted to add one more thing. Um, that's not to say that you won't get an efficient fermentation using any yeast extract. You might get uh, efficient uh, yeast uh, growth and fermentation. It's more the flavor contribution. And if uh, with hard seltzers, Usually people are doing uh, significant filtration or even carbon filtration to clean things up at the end. Uh, if you're able to do uh, a significant carbon filtration, you might be able to filter out uh, any off flavors due to um, you know, coming from the yeast extract. Um, but uh, you will reduce the need for that if you use a, a yeast extract-based or yeast autolysate-based nutrient that is optimized for hard seltzer fermentations that will reduce the production of those off flavors in the first place. All right, cool. Um, so I was just thinking about uh, a practical um, question in the brew house. So let's, let's say that I am adding yeast nutrient to the, the brew kettle near the end of, uh, of the boil. Um, is it going to dissolve into the wort immediately or do I have to actually worry about like, you know, some of that, sedimenting out in the kettle and not quite making its way into the fermenter. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that make that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know people do worry about that. Many organic yeast, um, extracts or, uh, sorry, many organic nitrogen sources are extremely hygroscopic. So they're gonna, they're gonna dissolve pretty readily. They may clump up initially. Um, but even just kind of leaving it alone or with, with minimal agitation, they, it'll, it'll, it'll entirely dissolve within minutes. Um, I mean, we're talking like maybe on the order of five to 10 minutes, depending on, uh, how thick the, the substrate or, you know, the, the liquid that you're putting it into is. Okay, cool. So nothing to worry about there. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't worry about it settling down to the bottom. Like Avi said, there may be 
some slight clumping, uh, but not anything significant that would cause any problems. So uh, how much oxygen does a seltzer wash need? Is the target similar to, you know, 8 to 12 ppm like most beer warts or is it something else? Yeah, so we, we, we would recommend treating it pretty much identical to, um, to a beer fermentation in the sense of oxygenation uh, because the oxygen demand is, is, is going to remain unchanged. Um, because you know the yeast are still just going to do what the yeast do in fermentation so yeah i don't think we haven't really found anything to suggest that that there is a difference between uh or in terms of, of total oxygenation all right let's get into some seltzer fermentation specifics um let's talk about yeast selection for seltzer i think folks have tried everything from champagne to distillers to neutral ale strains and probably a bunch of other stuff what do you guys recommend yeah so i i i think by and large the majority of brewers start off using something like a champagne champagne yeast and that's due to the high tolerance to osmotic stress, high alcohol tolerance, and great ability to ferment, ferment uh, simple sugars. And, uh, if you're using pure glucose, that's more osmotic stress than you would get from a, a similar gravity of uh, wort sugars. Um, so using a champagne yeast makes sense as a first choice, um, and it works very well. Uh, uh, from Lalma, we recommend uh, CBC1, which has a lot of uh, characteristics in common with the champagne yeast and it's uh, adapted to to beer and hard seltzer fermentations as well um there's lots of other champagne or wine yeasts out there that will do the job um really though i i the other advantage of a champagne yeast is that it it will tend to be very neutral flavored which is often what people are going for in these seltzer fermentations but we're starting to see, I think, in the market, people starting to play around a little bit and uh, use different yeast strains that might contribute some flavor as well, uh, either esters or possibly phenolic compounds, depending on what you're going for. Um, we've even seen some some people playing around with uh, lactic acid-producing yeast strains, uh, like our our Philly sour strain, uh, to produce sour seltzers. But really, the the point is that. We don't see any reason why many brewing strains or, or wine strains or, or even distilling strains couldn't be used for this application. They certainly could. Um, and um, I would encourage people to play around and try, try new strains that will impart some flavor contributions as well. Um, and don't just stick with uh, a champagne yeast because that's what a lot of people are using already. Uh, this is a fairly new style of fermentation that people are experimenting with. People have started with champagne yeast in many cases, but I, I think we're going to start to see people branching out and using a lot of different types of strains as well. If I have an abundant yeast supply, can I just overpitch instead of adding a bunch of yeast nutrient? Ah, that's a good question. Um, we do find that there's less yeast multiplication in seltzer fermentations compared to uh, beer fermentations, uh, which may imply that uh, if you just simply pitch more yeast at the beginning, you you may be able to overcome the need for some of those some of those nutrients. Um, we haven't done experiments using uh, 
using exclusively uh, very high pitch rates. Um, Avi, do you want to speak to some of the higher pitch rate experiments that we've done in the lab? Yeah, so some of that behavior that we've seen is um, there is a point that you will get a faster fermentation without much of a difference in terms of sensory. Uh, one, of the, one of the advantages is that having an abundance of yeast uh, will also make filtration easier because the surface area or the, the surface of the cell wall of yeast is pretty sticky. So it could actually potentially be used to kind of like clear out excess unused nutrient as well, um, thereby re reducing the need for extra fine filtration. But that does come in at an expense. Um, because you could potentially change the flavor profile with overpitching. Uh, it's the same kind of thing that we see in beer. Um, but you also have to factor in the cost of the yeast. So if you're going to be pitching, you know, three times as much yeast as it, as you normally would for a similar beer fermentation, you're also going to be paying three times as much for that yeast. So on one hand, yes, we do find that up to a point there is an advantage you get a very nice you get a very clean fermentation very fast fermentation or marginally faster fermentation um but you also have to factor in the cost of of the added yeast now uh over pitching and then cutting back on nutrient that could lead to a whole host of problems um altogether because then at that point now you're starting to really introduce competition scarcity of nutrients um and that could that could potentially lead to any off flavor or to the development of off flavors. All right. Um, are there any common causes of slow or stuck seltzer fermentations besides insufficient yeast nutrient? Let's say, uh, let's say if I added lots of nutrient, but my seltzer fermentation was still super slow, what did I do wrong? Temperature seems to play a big role. Uh, one thing that people are hesitant to do is ferment at a higher temperature because sometimes under beer conditions that could lead to um, to the development of of certain off flavors. But we find that you know kind of going to the upper safe range of a strain's fermentation temperature. Uh, goes a long way to speeding up fermentation. So we typically recommend about 25 degrees Celsius. So that would be like, uh, what's that, 77 Fahrenheit? That's that's kind of a good sweet point for for a little bit elevated fermentation temperature um, with the correct nutrient addition. Seems to uh, seems to speed up the process quite a bit. The other thing I would mention about uh, possible causes of slow fermentation, it could be pH shock. We talked a lot about the differences between um, beer fermentations and seltzer fermentations. Beer fermentations are highly buffered, um, so the, the pH will drop relatively slowly uh, throughout fermentation. Uh, in a seltzer fermentation, uh, the sugar does not impart really any buffering capacity to the fermentation. Um, so when the yeast starts to ferment, it produces CO2. CO2 is dissolved in solution and turns into carbonic acid, which can drop the pH very rapidly, uh, which can lead to 
shock and stress for the yeast if the pH drop is too rapid. Um, in some cases, we recommend adding buffer uh, to to mitigate this. Uh, we recommend potassium carbonate or potassium bicarbonate. Um, other buffer types uh, may be useful as well, and they will they will do the job in terms of uh, buffering. Um, so there's a few different options out there. Um, but basically, what you want to do is limit the the pH drop within the first 24 hours. So and try to avoid having the pH drop below three and a half uh, in the first 24 hours. That would be ideal. Um, this also speaks to an, another advantage of using uh, an organic uh, yeast-based yeast-based uh, nutrient. Um, they will tend to provide a little bit more buffering capacity to the fermentation as well. So less buffer or per perhaps no buffer may be required in, in some cases. Uh, simple nutrients using DAP will have less buffering capacity um, coming from that nutrient. Um, volume is also a consideration when you're talking about pH. Larger volumes have higher hydrostatic pressure, more CO2 dissolved in solution, and more production, more conversion into carbonic acid, and potentially larger pH drops. Um, so that you may find some issues uh, related to pH control. Um, when you're scaling up from a pilot system to a larger volume, for example. And smaller craft producers of seltzer may not have any pH problems at all. Should the um, potassium bicarbonate be added in the brew house with the yeast or after fermentation has started or something different? I'd recommend adding it all up front. Um, some people do dose it partway through, but I don't really see a lot of advantage from that. Uh, this is something that needs to be optimized in-house because it depends a lot on your water composition, things like that, and what particular nutrient you're using. You can try a fermentation without any buffer at all and see how it goes, um, or use a, a low a dose rate of, of about 0.1 grams uh, per liter. If the pH is still dropping significantly, um, add additional buffer at that point, and then Based on the total buffer that you've added in that fermentation, the next time you do your, your next trial or when you scale up, add that entire volume at the beginning instead of dosing it partway through. The, the main thing you want to do is avoid the pH drop in the first 24 hours. Um, that's when the most significant pH drop and the steepest pH drop is going to be. Um, so it makes sense to have the buffer present all at the beginning. And uh, j just just to add something on there, that brings up a really good point, too, because pH shock, I mean, that's a very real problem that brewers have to deal with. So finding a strain that is resistant to that, too, um, that, that can go, uh, that can play into your strain selection for, for making hard seltzers if you don't want to go the route of using a pH buffer. Most yeast are pretty happy all the way down to low three a pH of, of three three point two um just as long as like you know they're of a strain that can handle it so just just something to keep in mind when when you're selecting um your strain for your hard seltzer production and just one last thing on that topic as well um we sometimes get questions from brewers who are struggling with a seltzer fermentation that is sluggish and the cause is in many cases uh, pH control, a very sharp pH drop at the beginning. 
adding additional buffer after the yeast is already stressed by the, the sharp pH drop won't necessarily rescue a fermentation uh, that has started to be sluggish due to that pH drop. Uh, it would be useful to add the, the buffer at the beginning for the next fermentation, but you won't necessarily be able to rescue it if the yeast is already stressed at that point. Brittany, you've been more directly involved with some trials at breweries. Any interesting observations there? Yeah, I guess I can um, just maybe touch upon what I've seen most often from the global trials that we've collected. Um, Typically, um, we will see from the sugar substrate side, um, people will most commonly use dextrose. Um, There are people who have um, used sucrose or table sugar um, successfully, but we um, found out that dextrose typically will provide a better kind of cleaner fermentation. And that's kind of because um, brewing strains, um, sucrose is uh, has fructose in it and uh, brewing strains have a, a more difficult time, I suppose, the best way to describe it. Um, metabolizing using uh, fructose. And so this is why we tend to recommend using a 100% dextrose. It's also very available within the United States and um, quite cheap from my understanding. Um, So that's what we've seen a lot. Most people are using dextrose as their starting solution. Um, There are people who buffer people who don't uh people who use the potassium bicarb people who use uh sodium bicarb and i think they go to that because it's also something a little bit more common a little bit more familiar to them but we recommend using potassium bicarb just to build on what you were saying about the the fructose um uh, in our initial lab trials when seltzer started to be hard seltzer started to become popular we started experimenting with uh, producing a standard protocol. We started with sucrose. Uh, we had some cane sugar available in the lab uh, that was readily available. That's what we started with. And what we found was in particular for high gravity fermentations around 20 degrees Plato or above, the yeast would start to struggle and it would leave behind a little bit of fructose at the end. Uh, so by using dextrose or you you will get more complete attenuation especially at in high gravity conditions okay Brittany, anything else that you want to talk about from what you've seen out there in the um, world just in the world <laughs> um i guess one thing one point that i would want to make at least just looking at nutrition as a whole not just specifically for hard seltzers but for um 100 all malt brewing as well um, I think people should be looking at yeast nutrition and health, um, not so much as um, a remedy. And this kind of plays within, um, as Eric mentioned, say, talking about people who would try to um, throw a buffer on to fix a, uh, you know, some kind of pH shock. You know, that's not going to necessarily fix the situation. It's already occurred. And I think people should maybe be looking at yeast nutrition as more of a proactive measure, um, almost like an insurance. Um, You know, you want to keep the yeast healthy. You want to keep them happy. You want to reduce stress as much as possible. And yeast nutrition is going to do that. And if you're already having issues, yeast nutrition isn't really going to be necessarily a solution to just throw at it and then say, okay, now fix it. I mean, 
um, you know, it's already kind of occurring. So uh, I think the, having the mindset of the more kind of proactiveness um, in general in regards to yeast nutrition, um, instead of being like, I have a problem, now what? <laughs> um, it's a little, that's just kind of the mindset that I think should be a, hopefully a little bit more common. Seltzer fermentations are usually something that re requires a little bit of optimization in-house. Um, brewers who are used to brewing beer um, sometimes struggle uh, the first time that they, um, when they try to produce a hard seltzer. I think some brewers will be tempted by the fact that they could add large amounts of sugar to the kettle and increase the, gra the gravity well beyond what you might be able to produce um, from a typical mash and hoping to ex achieve uh, extremely high yields. Um, I would not recommend pushing the limits of these fermentations right off the bat. When you start your optimization, get things working first at something at 20, 20 degrees Plato or less. And if you really want to increase and push the limits of uh, higher gravity, um, you can do that at that point. But get the nutrition working, get your pH control working, um, optimize your dose rates and your yeast pitch rates, your oxygenation, your, uh, your filtration at a lower gravity first and then scale things up after that. That was Brittany Christensen, Avi Shavitz, and Eric Abbott here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Several Master Brewers districts have had hard seltzer-themed meetings during the last year. If you want to learn more about yeast, nutrient, or hard seltzer, check the district presentations archive as well as the on-demand WBC Hard Seltzer Workshop. As always, check the show notes for some links. And don't forget that it's not too late to submit your own abstract for a presentation or poster at the 2021 Master Brewers Conference in Cleveland. If you ran trials at your brewery, if you did something innovative, experienced a major victory, or just solved a problem that another brewer might benefit from hearing about, why not put together a poster or a presentation for the next conference? I can't wait to see what you come up with. Maybe we can even talk about it here on the show. Check the show notes right now for a link on how to get started. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Let's go.